All right, let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want more information on Team Rhino Outdoors, you can check out our website, teamrhinooutdoors.com. My co-host today is Brad from Musky Mayhem Tackle. Uh, you can find more about Musky Mayhem Tackle at muskymayhemtackle.com. Our guest today, because we're finally doing this in the daylight, it's pretty rare, usually we're vampiring, is Andy Page. He's a uh, pike angler from England. Thank you for coming on today, Andy. How are you? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me. I'm fine, thanks. So, Andy, let's just get right into it right away. We uh, we generally start out with the background history on our guest. If you could let the listeners know a little bit about you. Uh, you got a pretty interesting story. You've kind of fished all over the place. Maybe give them a little insight into who you are. Yeah, well, just keep it, I'll keep it very brief, but um, I've been angling for, well, since I was six. So I'm going to give my age away here, so 44 years, so it seems like a long time. And um, I basically started fishing in the UK when I was a youngster, uh, match angling, which is, is very big in the UK. And basically, you do it in, in, in clubs. So you, you, We fish from the riverbank. We don't fish from boats generally. Um, you pull a peg, you sit in your peg, and you try and catch basically all the fish in that peg that you can. You weigh and you catch after the time limit of the match. And, yeah, that's how I started fishing. And up to the age of about 17, 18, I was a match angler and fished for my local town in nationals and so forth. And mainly did that. I did a bit of predator fishing, a bit of pike fishing when I was about 10, 11, 12 and carried that on. And it just grew on me. And I got the bug of a predator. I wanted to catch things with teeth. So since about the age of 17, 18, I've solely fished for pike. Did a lot of trout fishing as well on trout waters. But my pike fishing's taken me everywhere, so I've experimented. We bait fish a lot in the UK, obviously lure fish like you guys do over here. But also fly fishing for pike's a really interesting thing as well. So I've been going down that route for quite a long time. And when we first started doing that, we had to use gear that was trout fishing gear. So we've had in the UK, we've always had to adapt our equipment because we've never had equipment suitable for the task. And it's only very recently we're kind of catching up with the rest of the world, so to speak, with angling angling techniques angling equipment and the technology that's available now so in a nutshell that's that's basically where i've been fishing i go to france quite a bit do a bit of carp fishing over there and the last three or four years i've made really good contacts in sweden with the guys over there with a couple of bait companies as well so it's it's all starting to kick off for me it's, it's fantastic well andy uh previous to being on the air and recording we talked about limiting factors of your angling why don't you give the listeners an idea of, I guess, the challenges or struggles that you need to go through to actually get a boat in the water over by you? So in the, in the UK, we um, we do a lot of bank fishing. So we fish waters that are very small compared to over here, a lot of river fishing, drain fishing. Um, so it's from the bank, so we don't need to get on a boat. However, I've learned over the years that that just completely limits to what you're trying to do. Um, I've got into the world of side imaging. So I even got a 360. So for me, getting on the water is paramount. Even if I'm fishing a small local river, I need to get on the water. Um, we don't have slipways. So we have to work out a way we can get a boat onto the water that doesn't have a slipway. So I have two 10 foot snipers. They are, they're, they're, they're not fiberglass, they're this GRP plastic and they're flat bottomed. And I can put them on the roof rack of my car. And I can slide one of those down the riverbank, and I can. I've got a, got a two and a half horsepower that goes on the back of that, and I can set my. Um, I've got. All, I've got my Helix Ten, that is transportable. So I have uh, a Minkota transom mount that is, that is movable, and I've got the whole thing set up. So I have an internal battery pack. So it's it's quite a, <laughs> it's quite a fiasco just to get a small boat on the water. Um, I've got bigger boats that I use. I might even sleep over on a boat. So if I fish an area of, I used to fish the Norfolk Broads a long time ago, and that has slipways, but you have to motor maybe two hours to get to your starting point. So I, I even had boats made with a big cuddy on the front. I could sleep on the boat. So I would stay, well, the longest I ever stayed on that boat was four days, three nights nonstop. Just because you need to spend time on the water to fish properly. And if you're continually having to come home and trailer back, you just can't fish properly. So that's some other limiting factors. And more recently, um, we have some very large trout waters in the country that are fantastic fisheries because the, obviously the trout um, add weight to the pike stocks that already exist. Now, these waters, you have to hire the boats um, through the fisheries. So I've now, now gone to the lengths I have 
a I've got my Mincat Minco to bow mount. So I have that mount on a bracket that I can then have fixed on to any type of boat. So it's it's quite challenging at times on some of these boats where the V at the front is quite quite sharp I, I struggle to get it on there sometimes but where there's a will there's a way so it's a bit heath robinson i have a bracket on the front i have car car straps to keep it all tight i have big bolts holding it into the side of the boat and pieces of wood sticking out here there and everywhere i've got my helix on the back and <laughs> off we go but it, it all works and and it gives me that edge so i can um i can fish properly from the boats in these large waters and I can find my spots, I can I can spot lock, I can move very slowly over areas. And having fished with Matt for, for three years now, I've learned a lot of musky techniques. So I'm now transferring how you guys will fish along a, a drop-off. I think you call it a break. And last year I was really getting to grips with that using the bow mount and the and the auto chart on my helix, and the results were outstanding. So it's a lot of effort. But it is really worth the results. And the other important thing is I live in a country where there's a lot of people. And by making the effort, I've, I've now got an edge because of anglers that, one, they don't want to go to the effort. And two, they can't go to the effort of what I go to. So when I go on these waters and I've got other anglers who are who I'm competing against, they're, they're using the old techniques, which are nowhere near as effective. So it, it, is, it is hassle and it's a lot of hard work. But if you apply yourself and you, you pick up techniques from around the world, you you can make your fishing a lot, lot better. I think it's it's super interesting, Jeff. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity. I'm filming both Andy and Matt Seifert uh, as Matt's been guiding him the last few days or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've had the time to pick his brain <laughs> nonstop in a boat while I'm standing behind a camera. But, uh, you know, there's it's very challenging for a lot of these Europeans, you know, in years previous, I've guided a lot of Swedish guys, and um, Matt had some German guys here a couple of weeks ago. When you start talking to the Europeans and the struggles that they go through, it's quite amazing. It really is. That's a, a huge part of this. And, and the neat thing is, is they're so driven to fish. And being pike anglers and knowing about the muskies here in North America, they all want to come here and try it. You know what I mean? And there's some of the challenges with uh, catching large pike. You know, I, I think most of the listeners out there probably realize that there's a lot of big pike in Europe, but it's not much unlike musky fishing. That's the amazing part. Um, to get a giant pike, it's it's like trying to catch a musky. It really is. So that relationship is there. So Brad really definitely gives us a little better perspective on on uh, the luxuries, I guess, that we deal with. You know, going to a, a boat or a lake and having a boat launch really easily accessible on many different lakes. I mean, the struggle for them is definitely a lot different than anything that we have to deal with. A lot of guys, I mean, can you imagine, Brad, having to drag your, your boat into the water with all your different gear every single time you wanted to go out? Well, the crazy part, you know, like Andy and I were talking, we've, we've been talking about electronics and we've been talking about, he has 360. I mean, how many years have you had that? Oh, I've had that two, three years now. Okay. Yeah. And and so, you know, for him to be able to mount that, he, he's using multiple boats, as you said, as he said. So, in other words, he's got to carry his batteries. He's got to carry the 360. He's got to carry the helix. He's got to carry his rods, his tackle. He's got to move that and transfer it from boat to boat to boat um, where we, we're just so lucky here. And, you know, Andy tells me, he's like, your environment here is so crazy because it's so much more vast and big. And, uh, you know, we do things bigger, I guess. You know, our, our boats are set up. You don't need to, to haul anything, you know. <laughs> No, it's incredible. I, I I have a, well, I've got a lovely house now that has river frontage. So I, I actually have one of my boats on a floating dock at the front of my house on the small river. But even there, it's, um, you can't leave, I can't leave anything on the boat because it's in the middle of a town centre for fear of people looking through what I've got. So even that, I thought, oh, I could leave a couple of leisure batteries on there. No, I can't even do that. So even that, I have to carry everything from the house, and I have to drive it around the front and load that. So even that 
easy fishing for me involves involves effort and it's it's difficult it's like if you if you you've gone three or four days not caught anything you, you then think you then begin to wonder is it worth the effort going out the fifth day but you still have to keep pushing yourself so it's not easy but um it's it's worth the rewards because there's some very sp- special fish to be had in the uk and if you can make the effort and give it a go and you can get them but on the flip side then then you have to keep it very quiet because we live in a very very small country with lots of anglers and if someone gets a sniff that you've had a big one they start to follow so that's a that's that's another conversation so andy let's talk a little bit about gear obviously there's some limiting factors as far as your abilities to get on the water are there limiting factors as far as your gear that's available to you like in the united states i mean you can either you know order a bunch of stuff online and have it in a couple of days or you can walk into a tackle shop and you can find limitless supplies of baits and rods and reels is that type i mean do you have that access over where you are yeah i mean the the tackle shops in the uk are they're they're, they're pretty well well the general tackle stop shop is awful for a predator angler because they don't stock what we need, because th- their main custom is going to be match fishing, or carp-, carp fishing is the biggest type of angling in the UK. So most of these shops are, are geared up with, with carp gear and uh, match angling stuff, which is, if I use the word pole, you're going to think rod, because I have to, I'm trying to use English and American terms here. A pole in England has no reel, it's just a, a sections of poles you put together that normally has elastic in the tip, as a shock absorber, and that's what match anglers use. So, Tackle shops in the UK will cater for the biggest customer base, which is which is you know fair enough. But there are some specialist shops that do have good gear. But then again, once you start to delve deep into the sport, you can you even then think, well, that's not good enough. I want something else. So to give you an example, we have a big distributor in the UK called Fox, and they produce their own plastic lures. But <laughs> They, they, they produce this lure called a replicant. I don't know if you have it over here. I've not seen it. it. It has an internal weight. So they like to have these internal weight lures. I'm not sure if it's a selling point. So when the lure rips, the angler has to buy a new one. But internal weighted lures for pike fishing are pointless because you, you, you have to fish the lure at the same speed regardless of the water you're in. Whereas with the pike fishing, you need to be able to get these things down very deep sometimes or very shallow. So I've had to I've had to spread my wings and I have very good contacts now in Sweden. And in Sweden they really are sorting this out. They're producing some fantastic plastics and they have a different way of doing it. They they add weights to the nose of the bait. So you can keep changing the weights and they rig the the hooks externally. So I've had to kind of um, go abroad, so to speak, to find the, the gear I need. And with that as well, I've had to, with the multipliers, obviously the abbeys are accessible around the world. But I, I use different multipliers now. These these Swedish companies produce some fantastic multipliers. And, and rods, I, I, I have all my bait rods made for me in the UK by, by rod builders. But there's no point me asking them to build me a lower rod because they don't have the knowledge to build the rod in the right way they won't understand about the power needed in the butt of the rod and it still has to be flexible in the tip to be to chuck light lures but also have a midsection to chuck really heavy lures as well so i have to get my rods from abroad as well but it's only a click on the on the internet and i go for companies like canal gratis or, or wolf creek lures who are sponsoring me now which is very kind of them and three or four days i'll have a package on my doorstep so it's it's not the end of the world but it's taken me a long time to find the right distributors to get the right gear shifting gears a little bit so obviously you guys have access i mean it appears as though you have connections to get you what you need so like let's talk about water differences you're over there fishing with Minis- you're over there fishing in minnesota with brad obviously uh the lakes around there they have are in minnesota some of them are pretty vast do you fish anything? I mean, you talked a lot about uh, little rivers, little creeks. Do you fish anything of that size, even the lakes where you can get your boats into? Are they of the size of the lakes that you fish over there in Minnesota? Oh, nowhere near. I mean, the, the lakes you have over here are just, well, they're just they're vast and they're just beautiful to be on. I mean, the biggest the biggest water I fish is called Rutland Water and it is 26 miles perimeter around this this water. It's, it's the largest man-made reservoir in Northern Europe. So it's vast. But that is an exception. So there's another water I fish that's just a bowl, and that's that's quite big water, but it's nowhere big, nowhere near the size of the waters you have around here. 
but they're deep, you know, they, and they got drop off. So you've got sections of these reservoirs that I fish that are very similar to the areas that we've been fishing the last few days. So it's not that different in that respect. It's just that the size of the waters you have here and the, the amount of waters you have here is absolutely mind-blowing. And for me, coming over here, just even being on a boat on the water, let alone casting baits, is incredible experience because the wildlife as well. The bald eagles are flying around and pelicans and other things that we see. It's, it's, it's jaw-dropping. It's such a beautiful environment. So it's, it's incredibly different. It's, it's, it, we've got nothing like it at all in the UK, and it is absolutely mind-blowing. It's just a beautiful place to be. I would say this too, Jeff, you know, the little bit that we've uh, talked and I think people don't realize, you know, England isn't that large. And so, and it's very, very populated. And so there's a ton of competition between anglers and uh, that makes things interesting too. I think a lot of people here in the U.S. think, man, that lake's pressured, it's pressured. It doesn't even compare to what Andy is dealing with in the U.K. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, it sounds, you know, sometimes we probably complain about a lot of things over here in the United States, and it sounds like we got it pretty good, Brad. Uh, for sure. And uh, as you talk, it's amazing some of the challenges that uh, all of Europe is going through just to go fishing. Um, as an example, a month ago when Seaford had the two German guys here, something that I learned that I, I, I was unaware of, I had always heard that they have to kill every pike that they catch now. Most of the guys that are good anglers, um, oops, I, I lost it. I dropped it. And so they are doing practicing a little bit of catch and release, but it's mandatory. I mean, they're told they have to kill the fish. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, and we can kind of shift gears because Andy and I have talk, talked a bunch about this in the last couple of days. You can't start fishing until you're 10. And then you can't fish predatory fish, fish with teeth, until you're 13. And only can you fish predatory fish at 13 if you take a test. And so in Germany, anyway, it seems like um, <laughs> they're really trying to kill fishing in a sense, because first of all, you have to eliminate the, the fish that you catch. And second of all, um, you're not ingraining the fishing environment into our, into the youth. And um, Andy and I both have a passion for trying to bring youth into the sport of fishing. It's one th a topic that we could discuss more, and I think Andy's getting more and more involved. As being a school teacher, it probably helps as well for him to uh, talk and educate the youth. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've talked on before, the importance of getting the youth involved in, in any type of fishing is obviously paramount for the success of the entire industry. It's disappointing to hear things like that. Andy, why don't you talk a little bit about Maybe what, because of your, your background as a school teacher, why don't you talk a little bit about your your passion for getting youth involved in fishing? Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been teaching for 25 years now, and um, I'm a te well, technically a sports teacher, even though I teach different subjects now. And for a long time, I've been trying to promote angling within the, the area I live and also the school I live. And um, it's... We've got a little river that runs through the local town, and in the winter, it is the best, one of the best rivers in the country for, for coarse fish, which would be uh, roach, bream, perch, stuff like that. The fish aren't very big, but there's lots of them, and the match anglers love it. So the environment for the children is fantastic because they've got this, they've got this water they can walk to. So I'm very keen to promote um, angling within the community. And as we all know, um, <laughs> children now have other things to do, such as PlayStation, Xboxes and so forth. So trying to get them outside and doing these um, outdoor activities, I think, is vital. And the sad thing as well, I mean, I, I think America and England are very similar. There's lots of broken families where the dad isn't present and mum has to do everything and so forth. So they don't have that sort of role model to actually take them fishing and show them what to do. So what I've been doing um, over the years is actually just through the school, just trying to get groups together and taking the local the local pupils just just angling just take them out get them out um what i do though is i won't actually take them to the venue i make the parents take them so the parents actually get to see where the venues are if i took them the parents would want me to do everything so i actually i arrange the trips get the trips sorted out but i actually get the parents to take them to the venue so i did one just before uh, we broke up for the summer break and it was great we uh, we used the local fishery um it was a, a lad actually who runs the fishery he used to be an ex-pupil of mine but he's in his 30s now so obviously he was 
he was well up for doing the, uh, the the day. So we had a few had a few pupils, took them to the fishery, and it was great because it got the parents down, and the parents all loved the, the the area. It's a little nature reserve as well. So we we, we put, we're trying to put something back into the sport. And when I go back and start back again in September, it's one of the things we're going to look to do a bit harder. We're going to try and. Um, Myself and this fishery are going to try and get pupils back into the sport and just try and give a bit of bit of coaching because the other thing we're finding out as well is these these anglers, young anglers, they don't have the skills to even set up a, a basic kit. They can't, they don't know knots, they can't tie hooks onto line, um, they they don't know about shotting patterns. They they're just they're, just, they're stuck. They they don't they don't even have time to look on the internet and find out because they, their lives are so pounded with all sorts of social media and stuff. They love going, but they have very little base information. So we were talking about actually having teachings in the evening at the fishery and just trying to put a bit back in and trying to get that that knowledge base going again. Because I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I was a very young lad, um, I used to learn everything by reading books. And you'd pick up books, and you'd you then get some line and a hook, and you practice knots, and you you get it wrong, you get it right. And even today, I still do the same thing. I've, I've got a competition. I'm going to fish when I get home. And before I came, flew out to Egypt on holiday with the family, I was busy just practicing the knots I needed for different types of setups, just so on. On, on the on the day, on the tournament day, oh, my my knots were going to be 100. percent And it doesn't matter how how good you are in the sport, you still need to practice. So yeah, we are going to try and um, push the youngsters a bit more. Things are changing in England with education as well. The last 10 years, it was all about exam results and trying to get the kids out to do these extra activities were very very difficult. But as in everything in life, it's gone full circle again, and the government are now pushing um, building character and resilience in youngsters. So I'm hoping to actually promote this even further in the school that I work, and we can use this as one of the vehicles to drive that forward. So it's it's all there in front of me. I've done a lot in the past with the, with the pupils as well, so hopefully we can continue and, and just make this a little bit bigger. The neat thing for me, Jeff, is that meeting people like Andy that uh, definitely are trying to make a change in, in people's lives. And, you know, I think as anglers, sometimes we become selfish. We don't want to share spots. We don't want to share tactics. And it, without sharing, this sport just keeps dwindling and, and look, getting smaller and smaller. And as a lure manufacturer, you as a store owner, uh, it's important that we that we get our youth involved, that's for sure. And and I think uh, we all know that fishing, fishing and hunting both, I guess, really uh, seem to keep our youth out of trouble, if you will, because it keeps their minds going. And um, it's a great direction. Yeah, I was going to say, not only from a standpoint of, you know, sales and continuing to grow the business, I obviously think that it's good for you know, more people to get involved in the sport just because it's good for them to get out and experience. Like uh, Andy was talking about, you know, the pelicans and the bald eagles and all that stuff. Occasionally I'm out on the water and I'll literally stop and just pay attention to what's going on around me as opposed to not, you know, not fishing. I'm just literally looking at nature, sunsets, sunrises, all the different wildlife. Um, I think it is a stress reliever in sense in a sense it's good to just get out and you know clear your mind kind of almost like reset yourself that's kind of what i get out of going fishing obviously sometimes if you're musky fishing it can be frustrating as heck and irritating and annoying but for the most part you take that out of it where it's just you know just you in nature and that's kind of you know it's good for people to get out and experience that i don't think a lot of people do that it's a lot of race 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 throughout their course of their lives and I think a lot of people could benefit from just getting out on the water. Yeah, you know, Jeff, there's no doubt about it. I, I think, man, it's been a long time, but Muskie Hunter Magazine had, I know Jim Sarek had done, found some research. I, I don't know where he found it. And it would be really interesting to see today. But 10, 12 years ago in one of the Muskie Hunter Magazines, he had mentioned that our youth are spending 40 hours a week in front of a tube. And when I say a tube, I'm talking whether it be cell phone, uh, computer, TV, video games, 40 hours a week. Think about that. That's what most of the listeners are working a week. And uh, our youth are spending that much time behind a tube, if you will. And, uh, man, I, it, it still boggles my mind. I remember reading that. And like I said, it's been a long time. And I, it's still it, it's sitting in my craw, if you will. And uh, 
kind of blows my mind to think about. I bet it's I bet it's maybe even elevated more now with the cell phone technology gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I'm guessing it's probably grown even more. But uh, so that same study, I should do some research and see what I see out there. But why don't we shift gears with Andy here and uh, why don't we talk about the correlation between the pike fishing and the muskie fishing and uh, kind of how that came about for him. And it, it's it's always intrigued me because I've guided a ton of people from Sweden and um, and it's been pretty cool. I know there's been guys here from Italy, not with me, but guys from Italy and then Matt had the guys from Germany. And I know that there's been a few others from the UK area that have come here. But Andy, what drove you to come do some musky fishing here in the US? Um, I've got another long story, but I'll try and keep it <laughs> brief. Quite, quite a long time ago, 10, 12 years ago, a friend of mine called Carl Allen, he, he was showing me pictures of a muskie trip he took to Canada. And his first ever muskie was a 57-incher. Now, this blew my mind. This thing was huge. And Carl is a fantastic pike angler from the UK. And he, was, he had caught some very large UK pike. And he was showing me these pictures. And I'm thinking, wow. But he was explaining to me about, if I remember correctly, I think there were burning bucktails in the wake of the prop of the boat. And he, he was said he was absolutely shattered. His forearms were killing him. And he was—he had no sleep. He was explaining, "Oh, wow, that's not a holiday. That's, that sounds like torture." Anyway, so the years went by, but I had this musky in the back of my head, and I—I I thought I, I need—I do need to try and catch these fantastic-looking huge pike because I knew nothing about them at the time. So probably three and a half years ago, I was at a tackle show in Sweden, and obviously I was there. I, I was quite fortunate. One of the companies had paid for me to go as a guest, and I was there for an after-party. And obviously the Swedes are great because they, they know you, you, I'm English. They all they talk English around me. But yeah, I heard the hubbub of the, the Swedish language in the background in the bar. And then in the distance, I heard um, a, a friendly friendly language. It was a, it was an American going, hey, hey, anyway, to cut a long story short, it was Joe Peterson. So I, I, started making, I started made friends with Joe Peterson. And he's a great guy. And he put me in contact with Matt Seifert. So I just literally bit the bullet and came over here to musky fish. And before I came, I got back in touch with my friend Carl and said, look, I'm, I'm going to the States musky fishing. What do I need? And he said, well, you need to go to the gym, <laughs> get those forearms built up. And he said, you need to you need to take your own reels because in the UK, we reel left handed. You guys reel right handed. I'm I still fish right handed, but we all reel left handed and our dominant hand holds the rod whereas your dominant hand reels the reel. So that was the first thing he said, get yourself a couple of decent reels. So I, I bought a couple of um, Abbey Toros and left-hand ones and got them filled up with a 100-pound test. And over I came, and wow, I remember going out with Matt. This is the first day on Vermillion. Absolutely blew my mind. What a beautiful lake. And I was chucking the most weirdest lumps of wood and metal I had ever seen in my life. So there I am thinking, how is any self-respecting pike gonna 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 take these monstrosities? And it, it's taking me a, a while to get into the psyche of a musky angler. It, it is so different because these lures are incredible. They're at times so brash, big, loud, and that, their actions and the, what they kick off in the water are just so different to how I pike fish in the UK. But obviously, when in Rome, do what the Romans do, and uh, it's been a hell of a steep learning curve. But it's been fantastic, and just just being out with you guys and looking at how you fish and the mentality to it all and just the range of baits and and, and trying to get into the mindset of a, a, a musky angler has been a fantastic journey for me because it, it is so different to the UK. I mean, even two days ago, we were on a lake and we were talking about how we were fishing. We were fishing into the break, into the drop off. Well, I do the complete opposite. I will actually fish on top of the, the plateau and cast into the deep and I'll pull my lures very slowly and delicately up the break and I'll be picking off fish as they're sitting at different areas on the break, either on the on the plateau at the bottom or different parts of the, the drop-off. But you guys do that so differently. So even, even when I'm fishing, I have to stop thinking about my pike and I have to do what I'm told to do by the guide. It's I just I just stop thinking about pike and have to get into musky mode. It is quite a unique way of doing it, and it's been fantastic. And I've been incredibly fortunate because um, the first year out, 
I, I had a 54 and a half, which absolutely blew me away. So seeing this creature in the bottom of the net was something I should take to my grave. It was an image and a half. I shall never forget that experience. It's, it's completely blown me away and I am hooked. Excuse the pun, but uh, I can't get enough of this. It's just fantastic. You know, one of the, <laughs> he's also seen the challenging sides, Joe. Um, last year, what, how many days was it? Nine, nine days. Nine days on vermilion and uh, zero fish. How many fish did you see? It, it was worse than that because it was nine days with Matt and Joe joined us as well for mm -hmm. seven of those days. Matt had a 51, 52, I can't remember. I had two fish follow me up on a top water. It was the penultimate day. We, I, my last full day of fishing and it was, it was another big fish following me up. And I thought, this is it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get another big one, but no, it just died away before it got to the boat. So, I think I saw, I saw two fish. I had a hit by another fish, but they didn't, didn't connect, and that was it. So he he knows both sides to this whole musky world. Um, you know, the celebration of a giant fish or a fish, and then he knows the side where we we go days without getting fish, and um, it, it's quite like the pike over there. Like I said earlier. Um, you know, a giant pike, whether you're in the UK or Scandinavia or whatever, they work very, very hard to get a big pike. No different than a musky fisherman trying to get a musky here. So there is a lot of similarities. Why don't you share some of your <coughs> input on that? Well, yeah, I mean, a good example was last year. So I'd, um, I'd spent the nine, the nine days with Matt and Joe. It had been a major struggle. But um, one of the things you must do as an angler is you, you, you've got to learn. And every day when you come off the water, you have to ask yourself, what have I learned today? Because you need to pick up just a little snippets. So those days where it's a struggle, you still got to learn a lot. It's, it's really important. And one of the things I took home with me last year was it was very interesting how Matt was telling me about honey spots. So he was saying, right, that, that spot there is where the biggest muskie will hang out. And he was telling me about how the muskies would go and hunt in the deeps and then come back and digest their food. And I'm thinking... On the big waters I fish in the UK, there's got to be some similarity with the, the big pike. I'm not talking about the pike in general, but the big ones. There are some very big pike, very difficult to catch. And you very rarely see them, but they're definitely in the water. So it was last October. I've been fishing one of these waters and I've been, I've been doing very consistent results. And I was quite pleased with myself because I was, I, was, I was getting a lot of fish compared to all the other guys that were giving it a go. But there was one area that we, we don't normally fish. It's, it's out of the, the known area. But I started using my auto chart live and plotting, because we don't, we don't have any, <laughs> the other thing is we don't have any Lake Master or Navionic maps. We have to do it all ourselves from scratch. So I have to plot everything myself, which I actually prefer because it means I've got a major advantage over everybody else. So I'm plotting this area and it was on the Saturday. I had a very big fish follow me up and I only just started plotting the area. And it was, it, I, I knew it was a good, good 20 plus good 25 plus fish it was a good fish that came up and i saw it go back into the depths and i could as i'm going through the area i kept picking up on my side imaging i couldn't get it to move again but obviously i, I marked the area and what i did I, I then went around the area a bit further with my auto chart live and i, I it just it was amazing if matt had been with me he just said this is the honey spot it was a plateau in about 22 foot of water and off two sides, the water dropped down to 28, 29, 30 foot. Off the back of the plateau, it shattered up gradually to about 21. And then to the right of the plateau, it was an old riverbed. It kind of it dropped down again, but went into a very shallow area. So I'm thinking, wow, that pike is here on its own. It's just holding the spot. I came back the next day and I hadn't really thought about this big fish much. I've been gone back to another area, caught a couple, and then it was mid-afternoon and I had been struggling on the the going spot so I went back over to where I saw the big fish and I also I went straight to the waypoint and I couldn't see it anywhere on the side imaging so I'm I'm just casting casting and within 100 yards of the waypoint I had a 26 massive fish for, that, for those waters beautiful fish never been caught before and I'm utterly convinced it's the same fish that followed me up the day before and it was the only fish in the area and I thought wow that fish is behaving a bit like a muskie. It's dominating that area. And the bait fish would run through the deeper water and then obviously come up over the plateau and it's easy pickings for this big fish. So that I think by applying muskie techniques and picking the brains of the guys over here on my big waters, I think some of these big pike 
do you generally do the same type of thing? And that was a classic example of using techniques I learned here and applying it over there. And, you know, if I hadn't been musky fishing, I probably wouldn't have got anywhere near that fish. So this, this September, October, I'm, I'm back with, with more time to give these big waters an even bigger effort. And I'm really, really very positive about getting an absolute monster out of one of these waters. You know, there's two things that strike me too. Um, you are positive, Andy, you know, and, and that's a huge key. It really truly is when it comes to musky fishing. And it's not unlike that with the pipe fishing as well. And staying positive is a huge part of this whole this business, if you will. So that helps too. You know, I mean, <laughs> having a negative angler in the boat really, really brings down the morale and it, it gets tough. That's not you at all. And I think that's a neat little thing to touch on. Did you end up buying this electronics because of your experience your first time here? Or was it something that you were playing with before you came over Musky Vision? No, it's something I'd picked up before. Um, again, in the UK, the development of lure fishing, which is what you call bait fishing, is awful. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's just stagnated. There's, there's a few guys that do who are very good lure anglers. But because of the nature of the fishing in the UK, they keep everything to themselves because they've got a bit of a, an edge, which is fair enough. But YouTube is a fantastic tool. And I've been watching a lot of um, French, Italian, and obviously Swedish coverage. And there's one company called Canal Gratis. And I've been watching them. And we have some very big Xander in the UK. And all these, these big waters, they hold very big Xander, one, one water in particular. So I've always used a, a sonar, because you have to on these big waters. And they've been little cheap things. and um, they just ping down and they, they do what they do. And then I started seeing um, the side imaging on this on these YouTube channels from this, these Swedish companies. And it blew my mind. And I thought, I wasn't thinking about the big waters. I was thinking about the rivers and the drains I fish. They are man-made dugout channels to drain the farmland. So they are dead straight. They're only about 10, 12 foot deep. And I thought, wow, with side imaging, I'm going to find shoals of bait fish and I'm going to annihilate the pike. So I bought the side of my helix 10 initially with that in mind to to plot out the waters and actually find out where the bait fish are because where i live is it used to be the second best area in the country for pike fishing before it got decimated and we have very big dream shoals and the big pike follow the, the big dream shoals so it was just a matter of course of linking up my side imaging on a boat that i could use on these waterways and finding the bait fish and and in the winter there's there used to be one Green shoal in particular, it, it was vast. It was 500 yards long, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. You'd never stumble across it because you wouldn't even fish down the area. I mean, you'd have to walk miles to get to where I'm talking about. So I bought the the side imaging for use on the drains first, and obviously I bought the 360 because I fucking see in front of the boats as well before I've gone past them. It's a major advantage. So that's how it came about for that. And obviously then I I, I started using all the big waters and thought. But what pelagic type fishing? I was picking up big fish mid water. So, yesterday when we were mat searching around on that <clears throat> secret lake for those elusive muskies, we um, were using it. For, I use it for that on the big waters as well. So, I, I bought the gear. That's my agent, by the way. He's phoning me up, Jeff, to say, uh, <laughs> You're going to have to cut this short unless these guys start paying you. My normal fee is two Hershey bars and a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let Brad handle the payment today. I, no, I, I have to pay you to get on to that. I have to give you buy guys too much. But anyway, so that is what I bought. I initially started getting to the equipment because I wanted just to have an edge in my local fishing. But obviously, it's such good technology. I can apply it to anything. And I've got to make a Helix 12 Mega now as well because the screen imaging on that is just, that blows my mind. And I, I told you, I think I told you back end of last year, it wasn't a massive pipe, but I've been really struggling on my local drains. Um, we've got a major problem, Jeff, that we've had a lot of influx of Eastern Europeans into the UK. And sadly, some of them have just continued with their the same antics they get in their homelands. They just net the drains and they deadline the drains and they've taken a lot of the big, big pike out of the water. So catching big pike in my area now is very difficult. And I was having a very difficult season on my local waters. But back end, I, um, I found a few bream, and on the back of these bream, I saw a pike, and I thought, there we go. I even took a picture and pinged it to a, an old guy of mine, and just to wind him up, I knew he was fishing further down the drain. I said, look, there's a pike here. Um, we, t we tend to use baits in the UK, dead baits and live baits, so I, I dropped out a big live bait, and within an hour, I had a 17-pounder, and I'm convinced it's the same fish. So we, we, 
even with bait fishing, we're, we're kind of fishing the way you guys do. I'm spotting individual fish, and I'm going back and fishing the areas with techniques that are more akin to our style of fishing. So this modern technology is absolutely mind-blowing. It, it gives a major advantage. But keep in mind, <laughs> as we spoke earlier, uh, what a ton of work. I mean, all of a sudden now you, you have three units that you're carrying to the boat. It, it's amazing. I, I, how many batteries are you actually running? I'll try and limit the, the number of units. So I, do you remember the old Garmin black boxes? I've got a mouthful of sandwich, Jeff. I do apologize. Brad, Brad. <laughs> I cornered him. Brad has been brilliant. I've been chewing on this sandwich for the last 10 minutes. He's, that's why he's been talking a lot. He's been watching me. But he's, he's completely done me. I'm like a hamster. It's stuck in my cheeks. But I'll, <laughs> I'll try and talk. Um, okay, so what I'm doing at the minute, I'm just using the Helix 10. And I've got this Garmin used to produce an old black box that you can mount their little unit on. But what I've done, I've used that. And in, inside there, I use two 12-volt lithium batteries. And those two 12-volt batteries will last the day on that one unit on a water. If I use my three, I've also made, made it so the 360 can work off one of these batteries as well. So if I use the 360 in conjunction with the Helix 10, I know I need to take two extra batteries with me. I take two extra batteries as a matter of course anyway, just in case I run out. So I have four lithium 12-volt batteries with me, and then I take the bow mount, and I have a massive leisure battery, which is really heavy, but that will last me all day plus some. But if it's really windy, obviously, as we know, they work harder in the wind, so I have to make sure I have that. So my bare minimum is these four lithium batteries, the leisure battery, and obviously the Helix 10 and the bow mounts, and that's bare minimum. And if I want to take anything extra, I have to hire Eddie Hall and carry it all down to the boat. <laughs> I just think it's just so bizarre to me. You know, it, the challenges that we think we have, and, you know, really, Andy, what he's doing is, is he's trying to become a better fisherman by being a little bit more technically advanced than the other anglers around him. And... It's a pretty neat little scheme. I mean, that, that's what we're all trying to do. But our efforts are way less than what yours are, that's for sure. And I think it's interesting that, you know, you, you were already doing it before you came over here musky fishing. I mean, you're a true angler. You you want to catch fish and you want to learn. Oh, that's very kind of you to say that. But, yeah, I'm very competitive with myself and other anglers. And um, I just haven't caught the fish i should have done i've, I've been i've caught some big fish and i've been very lucky in the past but because i work full-time i'm a weekend warrior so i have to put extra effort in if i'm going to catch some of these guys in the uk they have jobs or lifestyles that i would not want but they can fish all the time and you have to you have to have that trade-off um i'm quite fortunate now that i'm going part-time in september so i shall have far more time to apply myself i'm only doing three days a week at the school so that's great because now i can uh, hit 50 i can actually spend a bit more time doing the thing i love to do but you need to have the edge and i'll give you, give you an example I didn't, I didn't mention as well on these big waters they're not open all year round they are they're, they're trout fisheries mainly so you start trout fishing i think it's beginning of february and they close again the following january for the trout fishing but for the, the predator fishing only starts in may you can only fish from may till january predator fishing and that's on the fly they only allow the, fl the, the lures from the 1st of September. So you have this very short time window in which you just must get on the water and catch these fish because by, heart, by the end of October, they have closed lots of the reservoir because they're bird reserves. <laughs> You've got two months sure. and you have to hit it hard. And last year on the opening day, 1st of September, um, I, I fly fished it the day before and had a very big fish follow me up. It was well over 30 pounds and I was desperate to catch it. And I went back the day after because I, I feel fly fishing's okay, but the baits are just more efficient. And I, I enjoy using the baits more. You haven't got a false cast and faff about and stuff. Uh, I went back the following day and I was just watching some really famous UK anglers fishing. In, and I'm, I apologise if I sound big headed, but fishing so badly. They were using the traditional methods of chucking a drogue out the back and the wind, they were just allowing the wind to blow them wherever the wind wanted to. They weren't fishing the drop-offs, they weren't fishing the weed beds, they were just randomly, at a speed they couldn't control, flying through the going area and they didn't catch anything. And on there, very slowly working the spots and even, 
when you have a drone, you have to motor back up wind to hit your drift again. Well, they were just motoring back through the water. They were about to fish again. And it, it, it really struck me. It came home that when you can get a level in this sport, which is okay, and then you, then you hit another level, and then you know you're doing it right because you're watching guys who are fish a lot, and you're thinking they're catching – they're not catching by design. They're catching because they're just spending time on the water. And I, I haven't got time to spend on the water. I've got to get there and, and do it properly. So, yeah, it's, I hope that wasn't too big-headed. But it's interesting watching these so-called famous anglers and just the way they're fishing and the baits they're using. It's just, it's just like I said, these these, these lures of the inbuilt weights. They, they've got no control over them. They've just got to crank them back so they work at a specific speed. And, yeah, it's, it's just nice. I'm sitting there going, yeah, I've got these guys. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. I'm just listening to him talking about working three days a week, Brad. I was just thinking that's kind of been you and me for the summer, hasn't it? <laughs> three days a week in our respective businesses. <laughs> uh, I know you, Jeff. Uh, unfortunately, you end up traveling a ton to, to go do your fishing. Um, at least I have some local lakes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I travel as well. But at least I'm here in the home base where I can do a little work and then get out fishing, you know. But, but yeah, our lifestyles, <laughs> our wives uh, are the ones that end up dealing with the carnage, if you will. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Jeff, it's very interesting because obviously I've, I, I've only met Brad this week. And obviously I knew Matt and Joe before. And coming over here watching Brad's setup is absolutely incredible. I mean, the amount of time and effort that himself and Carrie and he's even got family members doing stuff and they just completely apply themselves but it's the same in the uk really because i'm going three days a week in september but i used to rent houses as well i'm still got rentals so um, i did it as a plan it must have started 15 20 years ago i started buying these houses and at the time you could get mortgages buy money that you didn't have for deposits you could build it into the value of the house so if you're prepared to take a bit of a gamble you could set yourself up now i've got to a position now where I'm just selling the houses slowly and using the equity to pay off my house. So now I'm 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 bearing the fruits of my labour. But it's it's I had a full time job and 15 20 years of doing another job. So coming over here and seeing Brad with he's got so much going on. It's like it doesn't matter where you live in the world. You have to work hard at things. You can't just expect to be given stuff. And the harder you work at something, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take the edge off you while you're doing it. But that. I've got this warm feeling inside that I've really worked hard and now I can start to take a bit of a, a backward step with it all. And it's great, but it's just nice watching other people from different countries and we're all having to do the same thing to keep ahead of the game and ahead of the tax man and ahead of all the bills and all the responsibilities that we have with families and, and partners and so forth. So you guys will get there. Just got to keep, keep going. And it's great. You've got such a great uh, network of friends that everybody will help out and keep it all going. Networking is huge too in fishing. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. It's you know working with other guides and communicating, and it's really neat to see. You know, somebody might be on Vermilion, and the neat thing about that is they caught a giant fish. At that same time on my water here, I caught a big fish. And then you talk to somebody in southern Minnesota, or maybe it's in you know eastern Wisconsin. Doesn't matter. At that same time, they caught a big fish, and. So by networking amongst good anglers that you can trust, you definitely can put some pieces of the puzzle together. So that is the big difference between here. <clears throat> I found Sweden was the same. They network superbly well. You can't do that in the UK. I, I could give you so many stories of so many anglers that have fallen out with their so-called angling friends. <clears throat> they've caught a big fish or big fish, several big fish. They've put, they've put their friend onto the water. And the following time they go down there, they're not their friend there, but an associate of the friend they knew. And it, it's it's crazy. We have um, a very – in the UK, we have a small group of very well-known anglers. And it's kind of like the faces are in the sport. And some of them are ruthless. They will, they don't care if they fall out with people. And they, they do they, – they abuse friendships. So coming over here and meeting you guys and the connections that you have and how open you are is fantastic. It's really refreshing. I can't do this in the UK. It's so sad. You want to share your captures with people and you can't. The only time it really happened, there was a group of guys that used to live around Norwich and they had the Norfolk Broads there and it was thrown up some lovely big fish. And end of every season, we get together and they we just share photographs. And I used to, and they would phone me up during the season and tell me what they'd caught. And I'd say, don't tell me where. 
I, I didn't know the areas. And I said, look, because if you see me fishing your areas, you know it's a complete fluke that I'm there. So we had this built into the whole setup. And it was great. So it was nice. But it was only four or five guys. And even now, I, I hardly speak to anybody in the UK about what I catch because people will follow. I've had it 25, 30 years ago. I had people following me. I had to park cars in farmers' barns and things and walk miles down the riverbank just to get out of the way. And it's sad. I mean, a, a long, long time ago, a friend of myself and a friend, this, there wasn't any fantastic fishing. We just found a pot of pike and Xander, and we'd be two or three months slowly catching some really nice fish. And then suddenly this guy's friends that we walk one Saturday morning, we rock up and this guy's mates there with his mate. And we, my friend was so embarrassed because what are you doing here? I told you not to come. Oh, we wanted to, try. you know, and it ends friendship groups and so many examples. It's daft. I mean, I've got one classic example. A friend of mine bought a very nice 50 grand vehicle to fish from. It was a bit of a camper van type setup. But one of the guys he trusted stuck a long plumber screwdriver through the radiator and the air conditioning radiator just to stop him going to an area <coughs> that this guy had actually taken this guy to anyway. It's it's ruthless. You you can't network in the UK. It's horrendous. So coming over here watching you guys is, is fantastic. And when your phone starts buzzing, and people have all caught in a window. It's, it's great. And that's what we should do as anglers. We should celebrate people's successes and not be jealous about it and not rush around trying and catch the same fish. But you've got space here. And in the UK, we've got limited water and lots of people that want the same fish. So it's, it's a bit brutal. How far are you traveling to hit your waters? <coughs> when you're, say you're going to go over here, how many, what's the distance that you're traveling to, to angle? Well, I'm quite fortunate, and I have made sure I stayed in my... I was born in the Fens. The Fens are a massive flatland area. It's a farming community, and we have these drains that, that basically they were built by the, the Dutch a long, long time ago, 1700s, to, to keep the, the, the water levels down, just to expose the silt and the peat beds for the rich agricultural land. So I'm, I'm in a very good fishing area, and I've never moved out of there, really, because it's a great fishing area. Um the Norfolk Broads were the number one place in the country before they got ruined. Um, and that would have been a two hour drive for me. So it's nothing really. Mm -hmm. But trailering a boat, you didn't want to do four hours a day trailering a boat. So I used to, we'd be learned to sleep on the boats, rig them up with alarms, and we'd be out in the middle of a nature reserve. And wow, what an environment to wake up to, all these birds around you as the, <clears throat> as the sun was rising. So that would be great. The big reservoirs that I fished, they're only an hour away, they're not far. So they've all been hitting distance. There is one fantastic water in the southwest of the country, and that's that's a four-hour drive for me. So I have to stay over for that one. Um, that it's got problems at the minute. I think they lost a lot of big fish the last couple of years. But when I go there, I'll, I'll just hire B and Bs or stay in a pub and fish there. So nothing's nothing's too extreme. And watching how far you guys have to drive just to visit friends, it's it's nothing. So we're a very small country, but it's very limiting. Lots of rules, lots of regulations. Not Things aren't open access, and you have to pay for everything. That's the other thing. You guys just turn up to a slip lane, and you launch your boat. I have to pay. I've got a season ticket for some of these trout waters, so it's cheaper. But that's three hundred pounds initially, and every time I go, I have to pay seventeen pounds for the use of the boat, regardless of being a season ticket holder. If I wasn't a season ticket holder, it'd be even more expensive. So it's yeah. It, it, the, the distance isn't a problem, but there's rules, regulations, there's times that you can and can't fish, and there's time, the dates throughout the year you can and can't fish. So it, it's very limiting when you compare it to over here. Crazy. It's just crazy to hear the differences and the stuff. Like I said, I go back to it again, just the stuff, the conveniences that we that we enjoy, just how much different it is for us to, you know, just like I said, launch a boat, no big deal, pay a license. I mean, relatively speaking, I think our licenses over here are really cheap considering what you get to do with them. I mean, I think a husband and wife license in Wisconsin is like, I don't know, 35 bucks, $39 for the season to go fishing. It's crazy how that, how that is. Yeah. In the UK, I, I, you have a, they changed it slightly. It used to be one rod license would cover two rods and that was 30 pounds. It's not expensive, but obviously when we bait fish, we have up to four rods. So I have two licenses, which is 60 pounds for the year. Again, I don't, I don't begrudge paying that at all. That's nothing. But it's it's the extra things. It's so you, you just can't go and fish anywhere. And a lot of places are private as well. And the other thing is, and this is a bit of a, it's not a good thing, but it's a bit of a funny thing. 
if you want to catch a really big pike in the UK, you have to sometimes, we call it guest, <laughs> poach. <laughs> you have to be in the appraiser and be SAS and sneak into places. And to, to your hand on heart, that's where you find the really big fish in the out-of-the-way places where you cannot get to. And sometimes, and only not causing any criminal damage, you do have to be a bit, little, little bit naughty and uh, push the envelope, to speak, so to speak. Otherwise, you're just not going to get access to these fish. So, yeah, it's all a bit, it's completely different. And you guys have got so much freedom over here. It's it's, it's jaw-dropping, really. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, we are pretty spoiled, if you think about it. And uh, the only way we learn that we are spoiled is by talking to people like yourself. You know, it's interesting. Well, even yesterday, we went, we, we caught some bluegill for, for dinner. And you just took us to a mark. We put the anchor down and within two minutes we're into these bluegill. The, the, and the <clears throat> secret lake we went to the other day, the amount of food fish you can see on the side imaging or even topping and the, you know, the fish that were jumping and so forth is absolutely amazing. You have such rich waters and such a diverse range of fish. And, you know, we, we don't take fish to eat in the UK. If we did, we'd have nothing left. And as I touched on earlier, we have a lot of the Eastern Europeans that have come over are actually doing that. And it has emptied our waterways. In some places, there is absolutely nothing because they've taken things to the table. But over here, because you have such vast waterways, you're not even scratching the surface with taking the bluegill or walleye or whatever. It's, it's amazing how it just replenishes itself. And there's, there's so much stock in the waters and such rich environments. It's just an amazing place. Jeff, I was saying to the guys last night, if I, if I brought my partner Nina over next year, it'd be dangerous because um, we might not go home. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could see why you'd want to do that. There's a lot of things that, like I said, we take for granted over here, but obviously we shouldn't, especially when it comes to lakes and waters. We complain about fishing pressure, but uh, compared to what you guys have to deal with, I think we'll take a little bit of pressure. Pressure over here. Sorry, sorry. The pressure over here is negligible compared to the UK. How much longer, is, how much more time are you spending here before you head back? Uh, it's, it's Monday today, I think, isn't it? I've lost track of time totally because <laughs> I don't know where I am physically or mentally. Um, fly out Wednesday evening. So we're going to have, well, two thirds of a day today. We'll be out all day tomorrow. And I think we're going to be out for the morning on Wednesday. So what normally happens is we realize, oh no, we're running out of time. And then Matt rushes to the airport to drop me off. So I literally, have bags packed we go fishing and then i get dropped off the airport and then i'm i'm doing the trek back to the uk well we talked kind of off air sounds like the fishing over there so far has been not not amazing not as bad as a nine-day trip to vermilion with no fish let's talk about uh let's talk about your trip a little bit yeah so i'm i'm trying to i was very fortunate i've been on a family holiday to egypt just before i flew out i landed back in the uk on wednesday morning from egypt and then flew no tuesday morning and flew wednesday morning over here so i don't know why but i can't get a direct flight to over here i have to go to iceland so i fly from either heathrow gatwick dropping up reykjavik and then get the connection it's no biggie because you're only there for 20 minutes half an hour most times so i think i landed here wednesday evening I'm looking at Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. Um, then they drove up to my place. I'd say you got here around 10 o'clock that night, something like that. Right. And then obviously I'm completely jet lagged. Don't know what I'm doing and it just crashed out. So Thursday, we didn't get out until oh, probably lunchtime. And yeah, Matt, Matt always does this to me. I ended up being his photographer. He had a 48 within the first two hours. Um, I'd already had a follow, so that was quite good. Just just having a follow cheered me up. And then I caught my first muskie on a figure of eight. And that's the other thing, <laughs> figure of eight. Wow, that, that is a skill in its own. So for myself, having to learn that over the last three years has been an eye-opener. And obviously having fish, well, the odd, the odd fish that follows me up, I get a bit frustrated if I can't get it into the figure of eight. And I always think I'm doing something wrong. But on Wednesday, I, I caught one on the figure of eight. So I was absolutely, oh, sorry, Thursday. I was absolutely blown away. I was la lacking a bit of confidence in the technique until I caught one. So now I'm understanding it a bit better. So that was awesome. So we were buzzing Thursday night. And we were make, making jokes that we were going to we were gonna average three a day. We were going to destroy every water we went to. And the musky gods, as per normal, did their trick. You, Andy, you're getting too cocky. You are not going to catch anything else for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they got their revenge. And uh, 
3,227 casts later, I still haven't caught another one. <laughs> we, we had some good fun yesterday afternoon. Uh, we pulled off the water a little bit early and um, came home, and, and Matt Seifert's uh, wife and kids are here. And we loaded up my daughter and Carrie and the, and the girls and, and his sons, and we went out bluegilling. And we, we probably fished an hour and brought home enough to – to clean and eat so we had a, a great supper last night and uh, a little bit of relaxation and i think we're all recharged and we're ready to go today so as soon as we get off this we're uh, we're gonna head out fishing but also jeff the weather's changed and i know from my pike fishing experience we felt it felt stale particularly yesterday it was it was hot and it, it, was, <clears throat> it was windy thursday which was great and i think friday saturday sunday from my pike fishing experience, it, it just felt very stale. I mean, it's obviously it's a bit warmer over here than the UK, but it, things it just felt the predators weren't moving. I'm looking outside now as I'm talking to you. And it, it's a bit of rain, overcast. And it looks fantastic. So I'm really hopeful that, that these fish are going to start moving soon because of the change in the conditions. Well, weather weather is the trump card, really. I mean, weather is the ticket when it comes to catching. There's no doubt about it. And uh, we, we're going to welcome this change, that's for sure. Yeah, I have a trip. I'm leaving actually here um, about six hours, Brad. I'm going up by Steve to Hayward to film. I'm going to go uh, take my daughter with me. I was looking at the long-range forecast for the next couple days, and I saw like today, I don't know, I think it was like seven mid, mid to upper 70s, maybe somewhere in there. Tomorrow's like 64. The next day is like 72, something like that. I'm like, oh, boy, that's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to that that drop um, because all the warm weather we've had is either going to turn these fish on or it's going to be a tough grind because of the cold front, but we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to getting back on the water. I'm especially looking forward to getting my daughter out on the water. She's still chasing her first casting muskie. Um, I moved this trip back on to visit with Steve from a couple weeks ago to now, and it worked out where she was able to come with me. So we're going to go chase some fish for a couple days and document her, her quest for a muskie for a YouTube episode. Hopefully it goes well. That's awesome. Hopefully you guys have a successful couple of days. We, we really need to. You know, we need to, uh, to get some fish on film. And uh, I, I really want to have Andy on one of our YouTube episodes as we start to release them this winter. But, uh, you know, here in Minnesota, these little mini cold fronts that we've had has really turned the fish on. When it, as in Andy's words, stale, um, as these bodies of water have been warming, the fishing has been really, really tough. And uh, we're fortunate enough from the, the uh, cold front that we had like two, three weeks ago, I guess it would be, our waters did get back down to the mid-70s, which, you know, you start getting in the 79 to 80 degree water temps, and I pretty much, I shut her down. I won't fish. It just isn't worth it. Um, the last thing I want to do is kill a fish. So I'm, I'm super happy that we're at that point. But like I said, the last two, three little cold fronts that we've had have turned the fish on. And this morning I walked down to the shop and I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's kind of feeling like it might be sweatshirt weather today. And yesterday we were sweating and, and dying in the heat. So hopefully that's the trick. Hopefully. Well, let's wrap this podcast up, Brad, so we can, you can get on your, you can get on with your day on the water. I got a few things to do around here yet before I take off. I won't fish till tomorrow anyways. So Whatever time I get out of here is just going to get me there a little earlier. i got about a four-hour drive ahead of me. Um, sure. You want to talk about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Sure, we can talk about that. Um, Brad Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you have any interest in uh, our products or have questions, please feel free to contact us at muskiemayhemtackle.com, or you can reach out to us on social media through Instagram or as well Facebook. And you're listening to Backlash Podcast. If you want to contact us, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram. Please like our Facebook page. Check out our Instagram. If you got any pictures of anything you want us to post on either one, uh, email them to us at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions for future guests, guests you want to see, feel free to drop us a line. We'll always try to accommodate when we can. Um, Brad and I have a very large network of people we can choose from. And hopefully we could, you know, accommodate some of those guests. As for me, I'm Jeff. I own a company called Team Rhino Outdoors. We're an online retailer that sells the majority of the major muskie manufacturers. We have a variety of stuff from custom colors, which is our specialty, to 
stock colors. We've started to add quite a few of those this year. So if you want to check us out, you can find us at teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can also find Team Rhino Outdoors on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and check out our YouTube page. We release a new YouTube video every Sunday night at approximately 6 p.m. And we have we we release a video from pretty much like June till I don't know end end of December somewhere in there. This year it might go a little bit later. We're not exactly sure. Depends on how our content ends up finishing up. We have a lot of time yet to film stuff, and so far it's going well. Um, although I haven't been on the water in probably. I don't know, it's probably been like three weeks since I've casted for a musky brad, so that can't be good. That's not good at all, Jeff. No, I've been in the shop way too much. I gotta get out of here. This is killing me. <laughs> I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the employee month employee of the month if I don't worry if I don't watch myself. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, that's crazy. Well, Andy, we appreciate you coming out, giving us some insight into uh, the pike fishing that you experience. I hope that you have a great rest of your trip to here with uh, Brad and Matt. And thanks again for being on a podcast. Oh, no problem at all, Jeff. It's been great talking to you. And uh, fingers crossed your daughter can get a 50 inch on her first cast. That would be fantastic. On a musky mayhem product. Obviously. Rabbit squirrels for everybody, right, Brad? <laughs> thanks again, guys. Have a great day. You too, Jeff. Take Th- care. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye.